You are listening to a message from Life City Church Houston. For more information about our church, visit our website at lifecitychurchhouston.org. And now with you, today's message. Today is our Amigo Day, and we were encouraging each and every one to invite a loved one, to invite a friend uh, today, and uh, just to let you know that, that we love you enough to to bring you if we had to um, to the service today. And um, I believe God wants to remind us really how crazy he's about us. And this month as we celebrate the month of love, there's no one that has a greater love than God for you and for me. Despite of what, we're, what we've done and where we've been, God is still crazy about you. And so I'm in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, it says this. I'm li- reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we we're still sinners. I'd like to speak to you for a moment using as a subject, God is crazy about you. Maybe we could add another word, God must be crazy about you. You could tell probably the person next to you and say, if you only knew everything and all the things I did just because I thought I was in love, you'd probably tell me that's crazy. No, for real, for real. If I if I would just to tell you some of the things that that I did to try and get someone's love, you'd probably say that's crazy. I think we've all want to be loved, and I think we all want to love, and that's a challenge in 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 our society today. But um, I think. There's no greater love that we can see in our lives than that that God shows us. From a stable in Bethlehem to a rugged cross at Calvary where he died, I think we could try to comprehend how much God would really love us to do that for us and ask God, what what are you doing? I mean, I don't serve you. I, I don't live for you. i done things that offended you, and yet you still come down, and you're born in a manger, and then you die on a cross for me, you, you got to be crazy. The reality is, yeah, God is very crazy about you, more than what you know and more what you could comprehend, and, and when you understand that God would rather, listen closely, die than to live without you. I think that's crazy love. That God would, dis- would rather die than to continue living without you. That is crazy love. And that's exactly what he did. He died. He said, I'd rather die and give my life for you than to continue living in heaven without you here. And so he gives his life. And I think that we must understand that God to do that 
really, really loves us beyond what we can comprehend. In the scriptures that we read, in the verses that we read, we begin to see that God is a God that loves us, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, that would die for us while we were yet sinners. But in Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, Paul says some things and asks some questions that he speaks with great conviction, with great assurance and confidence that God must be crazy about us to love us the way he did. When you read Romans 8, listen to what he says. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I mean, is there anything that you could do that would allow God or Christ to stop loving us? He says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then he says this, and I am convinced. When he says that, he's saying nobody told me about it. Nobody talked to me about it. I didn't hear it from somebody else. I am speaking out of my own experience. I am speaking. If you knew anything about who Paul was, Paul was not a good guy. Paul was not a good uh, 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 person that you would uh, think that he held honors. Paul was a murderer. He was one that would go after Christians and, and he, he could not kill them. He'd bring them to, to accuse them to be charged for, for treason of, of their religion and, and of their um, the government and try to get a conviction of death upon them. Yet God saves Paul. God be, uh, Paul being a murderer. Paul being the type of person that he was. All of a sudden he has an encounter with Christ and this is what Paul is saying. He is saying, how could anybody love somebody like me? How could anybody go that far to give their life for someone that has done so many wrong things and so many evil things? How could God do, he must be crazy about me to be able to go and do something like that after all the things that I have done that have displeased him, things that I have done that are not in agreement with his word and his, his practices and his, his commandments. How could God love me? And so when he sees that and he sees that God loves in such a way that's very hard to comprehend, there are people that are still trying to debate, does God really love me? Because you're so much in guilt, you, you can't comprehend how God, God does not measure you or look at you the way you and I look at each other. God does not look at you the way your spouse or the way your children or the way your friends look at you with all the mistakes and all the issues and dramas that you have. The reason God is crazy about you and the reason why God is crazy about me is because he doesn't look us, look to us and looks at us in the present state that we're in. God looks at us in the future of what he believes he's going to do in your life 
and in my life. God doesn't see you in your failures now. He sees you out of your failures. He doesn't see you in your sin now. He sees you out of your sin. He doesn't see you bound by the enemy. He sees you unbound and untied and loosened and serving and living for God. He doesn't see you in your sadness. He sees you in the joy of what the plans that he planned for your life. That's how he sees you. And when he sees you like that, God is crazy about you. When he sees what he's planned for you. And so Paul it says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And he goes to go as far as saying, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither uh, uh, no, nor, 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 nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to see it from the heaven point of view and not from the earthly point of view. Because there's a lot of things that will make us stop going to church. And you know, you've been an example of that. There are a lot of things that will happen in life that will discourage you. There's a lot of things that will happen in your marriage, that will happen with your children, that will help you happen in your body, that will happen at work, whatever. There are many things that come your way and will stop you from serving God, from loving God, from coming to church, from giving Him totally your life and serving Him. So it's easy for us to, to, to not love God. That, that's a fact. But what Paul is saying, yeah, it's easy for us not to love God, but it's very difficult for God to stop loving you. There's nothing that'll come between His love towards you. He's seeing it from God coming down. I may hold on to God's hand, and I may want to let go of God's hand, but when God has His hand on mine, it doesn't matter. God's grip on me is so strong that despite of what I'm doing, He must be crazy about me to continue loving me. There are people that say they love you, but they don't show it. There are times that we've said we love you and we don't show it. And so in this verse or verses, Paul is asking questions. And he dares anybody to challenge him. In heaven, whether it's here on earth or even in hell, to answer these questions and see if they would come out with a different response than what he has come to know. God must be crazy about you to love you. And so he asked these questions. The very first one he asks about, he's asking about God's protection and love towards us. He asks about God's protection. Psalms 23, 4 says, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close and beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. But Paul asks in chapter 8, verse 31, this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? Listen. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's saying, I have seen God for me. I have seen that God is on my behalf. I have seen that God is there to help me out. Now the question here is not only who can be against us. Because he asks here, if God is for us, who can be against us? We, we, 
we could answer that question, who could be against us? We've all been in situations where things have been against us. Some of you could say, hey, this sickness that I have is against me because it's weakening my body and hurting me with pain. And others could say, hey, the inflation is against me because I'm not getting what I should be getting and I'm not getting paid what I wish I could get paid and my bank account is not the way I would like it. The inflation is against me. Others could say, all around us, you could see the corruption that is against our society. Some of you are going through maybe a, 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 a marital uh, issue and you could say, my spouse is against me. Uh, my my spouse is not, your children are going through situations and putting you in predicaments and you could even say, my children are against me, etc., etc. The list could go on. But the question is not who is ever against you. The whole question is, but rather, if God is for us, who could then be against us? In other words, there are four key words that God is for us. God is for you. God is with you and God is there to help you out and bring you out from the situations that you're in. It's not, yeah, all these things are against us, but if God is for us, God is a God that can help. God is a God that can bring us out. God is a God that can turn things around. God is a God that can bring us out of our mess and bring us out of all of our drama. The, the God do you think that God would be playing with us and joking with us when he says in Psalms 91, 11, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go? Do you think God is joking with you and joking with me when, when he tells us that he's there to help us out? God is for you. And that's something that we have to concede, uh, uh, try to comprehend, that God is for us. Even if your parents have forgotten about you. Some of you may have been raised without your mom or raised without your dad. But even if you're in that situation, God is still for you. Maybe your spouse left you and maybe you've gone through a divorce. But if you're here and listening to my voice, you cannot deny that God is with you and has been for you. Because why? Because you could have already gone crazy. You could have already done some stupid things that would have landed you in jail or in prison. But God has been been with you and kept you sane. Well, God is for you even when your siblings are ashamed of you or your kids are ashamed of you. God is with you no matter how many times you have fallen. God is still there for you. You've got to understand that the creator of the world, listen to me closely, the creator of the world, the God that with his hands scooped up a dirt and created the oceans that, that we know. The God that with his finger designed the rivers that we know. The God that took the piles of dirt and created the mountains that dress our, our, our and, and, and surround and beautify our country. The God that put the heavens and the earth in place. The creator of the sun. The creator of the moon. The creator of the stars. He is your maker. He is with you. It's not just anybody. God himself Almighty is for you and you've got to understand that God is for you and he's on the sidelines and he's cheering you on. God is for you. He's on the sidelines and he's applauding you. God is shouting your name. God is there that when you're tired, he's there to pick you up. God is there for you that when you're discouraged, he'll encourage you. God is for you and loves you so much and he's so crazy about you that, that in his calendar, your birth date, is circled. God, God is so much in love with you and loves you and is crazy about you that, that in his chariots of fire, 
he probably has license plates with your name on there. Hello, somebody. He, he, he's, he, he's, he, he's so in love with you that if he had a wallet, the first picture he'd show would be yours. He, he, he's, he's so crazy about you that in heaven if there's a tree, and there are, he's probably carved out a heart with your name on it because he's just so, so crazy about you. Paul is saying he could love a person like me. I dare anybody to think differently if God is really not a God that really loves us. God is crazy about you. The Bible says in Isaiah 49, 16, See, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. God loves you that you take and we take things for granted. It's God that sends you the flowers in springtime. Hello. It's God that every morning brings the sun out for you. It's God that when you're about to go to sleep, he dresses the sky with stars and moons. That's how crazy God loves you and God is about you. And we take all these things for granted when it's all something that God does because he loves us. God is for you. And God is crazy about you. But the second question that Paul wants to ask, he says, okay, so I, I, anybody can't change my mind that God is for me, that God loves me. But then he says the following in, in, in his scripture or in his text. He asks the question about provision. Um, Psalms 103.5 says, he fills my life with, with good things. Philippians 4.19 says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Psalms 23.1, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I have all I need. Paul is saying, not only does this God love me and will protect me and is for me, but this God loves me so much that he provides for me. And what he's saying in verse 32, since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Listen closely. Won't he also give us everything else? Paul is saying, in my lifetime, I have seen that God is crazy, has to be crazy about me, to love me and forgive me. Knowing the type of person that I am. But the second thing he says, but this God loves me so much that he gave his only son and didn't withheld him from me. That he would die for me. And he says this, so if he gave me his best, do you not think then that he'll give me everything else I need? If he didn't withhold his best, don't you think then that he'll take care of all the rest of my needs? It would be like this way, that if I have a million dollars and I give you a million dollars, do you really think that it's going to really cost me to give you a thousand? I just gave you a million. And I didn't hold back the million. So now you need a hundred. Do you really think that it's going to cost me to give you a hundred bucks if I can afford to give you a million? 
So what he's saying is, do you really believe that God is not going to meet your needs when he gave you the best that he had, which was Jesus Christ, and didn't keep it for himself, but he gave him to you? Do you not think then that everything else you need is as simple for him to provide in your life? But we tend to forget that. And what Paul is saying is that God is so crazy about you. If you could comprehend that, you'd understand that God is interested in every single need that you have in your life. If he gave you the best, his son, he'll give you everything else you need and meet every other need that you have. I guess the way I could explain this to you would be, suppose a man comes walking by the roadside and walking and he begins to see that there's this little boy who is being beat up by some hoodlums and some gangbangers and so he goes in between them and is able to put his body over this little boy and begins to receive the punches and the kicks and the, the, the guys leave and he's able to see that this little boy is, is hurt and needs medical attention. He takes him to the hospital and he begins to pay and, and begins to, to, to say to the doctors, take care of this little boy and, and make sure that he recovers. As they're investigating who this little boy is, they find out that he's, he's an orphan. Find out he doesn't have parents. Finds out that he's probably going to have to go through the system of adoption or foster care. So this man who gave his life to try to protect this boy, he says, I'm willing to take him and adopt him. I'm willing to take him, one. I'm willing to give him my name. And I'm willing to bring him and make him my son. And I'm willing to take care of him. And so, so the procedure happens and all of a sudden this boy who was an orphan now has a home, now has a name, now has a, a place to live. But after a few weeks, the father hears the little boy crying and he goes into his room. He says, son, what, what, what's happening? The little boy says, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about tomorrow. What are you worried about tomorrow for? What am I going to eat tomorrow? I mean, where am I going to get money to, to buy clothes? What, where, where am I going to sleep? And, and, and the father says, like, hold on a second, son. You, you, you're confusing me here. What do you mean? Where are you going to stay and sleep and eat? And how are you going to get clothes? I don't, I don't know if you get this or not. He tells his son, I don't know if you, you're getting this. I gave my life for you and protected you. I took you in and gave you my name. You are now my son. And now you have this home. Do you think? That I would go ahead and put my life at risk for you and give you all of this so that tomorrow you can't eat. So that tomorrow you can't dress. So that tomorrow you don't have a place. What are you thinking about? If I did all of that, I will give you 
everything that you need as well. And, and, and I've come to tell somebody today that many times we offend God because we tend to forget that if God was willing to give his son Jesus and if Jesus was willing to cru be crucified and take your beating and my beating and take the whipping that belonged to us and he took it and take the nails that belonged to us but he took them. If he was willing to do all of that to pay the price to save you and give you a name the child of God and give you eternal life do you not think for a moment that God would continue to provide and meet every need that you have in your life yet we doubt God would only do that if he was really crazy about you we doubt God in his provision for us. And Paul wants to ask and say, since he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He is saying, I dare anybody that has really, really had an encounter with God to come into a different agreement with me. I challenge him to tell me something different. I believe all of us that are here would be able to say, God must be crazy about me. I haven't been faithful with my offerings. I haven't been faithful with my tithes. I haven't been faithful coming to church. I haven't been faithful serving God. I haven't been faithful reading His Word. I haven't been faithful trusting and obeying and obeying His commandments. Yet in all of that, I've got food in my stomach. I've got clothes that I can wear. I've got a house where I can sleep. I got a bed that's mine. I got a room that's my room. I wish somebody was here would say, I thank God that He must be crazy about me to still supply all my needs in spite of what I have been and done. Paul is saying, I'm speaking to you out of, out of my own experience. I know what I've done and where I've been and who I have been. And yet, God must be crazy to love me that way, to give his life for something like me. And yet, still protect me, still love me, still dance for, uh, uh, about me. Still do everything when I'm not even deserving any of it. The third question that he brings out is uh, it's found in chapter 8 of Romans. And he's asking the question, who, who can accuse me? Who, who can, can condemn me? Who has the right to point their finger at me? Paul is, is saying, God is a God that learns to forgive. God is a God that pardons. God is a God that has mercy. God is a God that his mercies are new every morning. None of us here would be able to differ, and he dares us. Because if we were to say that, we would have to say we're lying because you woke up this morning. And his mercies were new because he didn't pay us according to what we deserve. And a lot of times we can't live the present because we're still living in the past of accusations and faults and mistakes and errors. I guess the way I could explain this to you, and this is one of my favorite sermons for when we always talk about uh, Amigo Day. I, I love preaching this because 
it has a lot of reality to it. But Paul is saying, if I would tell you my story, you'd have to say, God must be crazy about you to forgive you of everything you've done. But God is a God of mercy. They say that there was a couple that was going to celebrate the 25th anniversary. They were going on a cruise, and they had the two little children, a boy and a girl, Pam and Paul. We'll just use those names. And so they went to their grandmother's house to drop them off. Grandma was going to take care of Pam and Paul, and mom and dad were going to go on a cruise. And so they'd be gone for about a week. They stopped at Walmart guess. And they bought Pam a doll, but they bought Paul a slingshot to entertain them during the week while they were going to be on their cruise. The parents leave, hugging their kids and giving them their gifts, and they stay with grandma. Well, Pam didn't have a problem with her lady instincts to play with the doll. Paul, on the other hand, had never had a slingshot. So he's trying to figure it out, picking up stones and trying to aim and hit things, which he definitely wasn't doing. He'd aim at the tree, and it'd go that way. And uh, he'd aim at the can that he'd set up, and it'd go that way. He, he'd, he'd aim at uh, uh, the barn, and it went that way. No matter what he aimed at, he never could hit it. So frustrated, kicking stones, and he picks one up and doesn't know what to shoot at. He's not hitting anything. So he just pulls it back and just lets it go. And the next thing he hears is quack. He hit his grandmother's favorite duck. Not only did he hit it, he killed it. When he heard the quack, he looked, and the duck is going like this, and then dies. Now he's in a panic. I, I, how come I couldn't, out of everything that I shot and missed, why didn't I miss this duck? I didn't even aim at it. All I did was just pull back and walk and let it go, and I hit the duck. And so he doesn't know what to do. Finally, he says, I know what I can do. Let me hide the duck. So he grabs the duck, and he, he's dragging it. And goes to where the mom has all the wood piled up for the stove, wooden stove that they have there. Covers it up. While he's dusting his hands, he turns around and guess who's there? Pam. Pam is there with the doll, standing like that and going. And just as Pam is looking at him, Grandma says, Pam and Paul, come have lunch. Come in, Grandma. So they're eating. Pam is eating away. Paul doesn't even know what to do. All of a sudden, Grandma says, um, Paul, I need for you, you to go get water after we're done with lunch so that Pam can help me wash the dishes. Okay, Grandma. Pam says, Grandma. Yes, Pam. Paul says he wants to wash the dishes. Quack, quack. Supper time came. 
And as they're eating, Grandma says, Pam, I need for you to really, really sweep the floor. And Paul, I need for you to get water so that it could be mopped. And, and Okay, Grandma, Paul said. Pam said, Grandma, yes. Paul said he wants to sweep and mop the kitchen floor. Right, Paul? Quack, quack. Yes, Grandma, I, I kind of want to. That evening, Grandma says, Paul, I need for you to go get water because I want to teach Pam how we wash clothes over here in the country. Yes, Grandma. Grandma! Yes, Pam. Guess what? What? Paul just told me that he wants to learn how to wash clothes over here in the country. Right, Paul? Quack, quack. Yes, Grandma. And for a whole week, Paul did everything and was a slave to Pam, all because of the duck. Till one day, he says, this is enough. Pam is killing me little piece by piece. If Grandma's going to kill me, she must just kill me at once. So I'm going to fess up and tell Grandma what I did. So he goes, Grandma. Yes, Paul. What's the matter? I've got, I've got some. Oh, Daddy. Where are you, Daddy? I, I, I got something to, to confess. What, what? What is it? Did you fall? Did you hurt yourself? No. I got the quack. Okay, Paul, 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 hold on. I, I, I can't understand you, Paul. Talk to me slowly. The rock. Quack. Okay, okay, let me see if I could translate for you. You had a slingshot, and you shot at everything. And you missed everything, but you aimed, didn't aim at my duck, and you killed it. <laughs> how how do you know, Grandma? Because I saw it through the window. I saw when you killed my duck. I saw where you tried to bury it behind the wood over there. But because I love you, I, I forgave you. But I just wanted to see how long you were going to allow Pam, your sister, to continue making you a slave. And I dare to say that some of us cannot enjoy the life in Jesus Christ the way we would like to. Because we have an accuser that keeps making us feel guilty and keeps quacking at us because of our mistakes and our failures that we've done in the past. And we no longer can be free to serve God. We, we too ha have been accused. that There's an accuser that every moment of your life and every moment of my life, he is filing charges against you and against me. And he's writing them down every time that you lie and every time that you commit immorality, every time that you have greed, every time that there's anger, every time that you've cussed, every time that you've gotten into a fight, every time that you've doubted. And he's writing it. His name is 
Satan. The Bible says in Revelations 12.10, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Uh, He's an accuser and every day he's accusing you before God that you made a mistake, that you failed, that you didn't give God what you were supposed to give, that you lied, that you were in a place where you shouldn't have been, that you did something that you weren't supposed to be doing uh, and he's accusing you. You try to forget your past but he reminds you of it. This expert witness named Satan has goal is to take you to court and press charges and, and he is a false accuser and every time he speaks you 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 bow your head and every time he speaks you you have no defense every time he speaks his charges are fair and you respond yeah yeah I'm guilty and Satan asks for the death sentence on your life because according to the word the wages of sin is death hello somebody yet God the judge answers I want you to know that it is true you get what's coming to you Romans 6 23 when you sin and it is death but then he explains but this case uh, this case right here has already occurred uh, and the sin has already been paid by the death of Jesus Christ I've got to tell somebody the judge says you're not guilty and the only thing you and I could say this has to be crazy love that God has on my life because I should be guilty of all of that I should have died for all of that but aren't you grateful for Jesus Christ that he gave his life and shed his blood and the Bible says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness and when Satan brings his book of accusations and God opens it up all there is is blood stains on every page because Jesus has forgiven you somebody ought to thank God because that's crazy and God must be crazy about you to forgive you of all of that Romans 5.1 says, So now since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in His promises, we can have real peace with Him because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Romans 8.1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Read with me what Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 and 8 says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Every time Satan comes to God's court and brings charges against you, this is what it says. It says, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. Then I like what verse 8 says. He who gives me justice is near. God is near me. And God's not going to disgrace me. And God's not going to put me to shame. And then he says this. Watch what he says. Who will dare bring charges against me now? Huh? Who's going to come and accuse me now? Anybody have any? Come. Who's going to do it now? And then it goes on to say, where are my accusers? Let them appear. That's what you have in God. That's what you have in Christ. That because he loves us so much, because he gave his life for you, because he shed his blood for you to forgive us and wash us from our sins, 
that when the accuser comes, you can stand conf- confidently with God and say, where are my accusers now? Come on. Who's going to accuse me and point a finger at me now? Because God is there with you. God is there. That, that's crazy. But he must be in love. And it must be crazy. He must be crazy about you to forgive us of everything we have done. Let me close with this. He wants to know about perseverance. God that perseveres. Not us that persevere. Because like I said, we, 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 we have tendencies not to persevere. If things didn't go right, if I lost my job, if I got in a fight with my wife, if I, I had a, a, a dispute with my kids, if, if my car broke down and I had to spend money on that, whatever, all those things make us not be consistent and persevere in God. That's why you can come continuously and then stop coming. That's one day you're willing to serve God, be an usher, be, uh, take care of the kids, and then for the next two months... You're like the abominable snowman, nowhere to be found. Okay. And if we ask you why, oh, because I had this thing. Oh, because this went wrong. Oh, because, you know, I just had it out with the, oh, because. So we're inconsistent. Paul is saying, but God is not. God perseveres. God holds on for the long haul. Hello? And aren't you glad he hadn't given up on you and he hadn't given up on me? Because if it was with us, we would have, some of us have already given up on ourselves. Hello? But Paul is saying, I'd like for somebody to come and prove me wrong that God is very short loving and that God, just because you fail or just because you weren't, didn't make it and just because that he says, then I'm done with you too. He says, no. God loves you. God has invested so much personally and costly in you and me through his son Jesus that he's not going to give you up to the enemy and to his desires that easily and that quickly. He, he, he's talking about perseverance. It, it's to ask, are you going to love me only when I do what's right? What about when I make mistakes? Will you continue loving me then? Uh, Y'all don't have to go that far. Just look at your own home. Look at your own marital situation. Look at your own family. The son doesn't speak to you for a week. You sleep in a separate room for three days because you don't want to see your spouse. So the question is, that's among us, but... Paul is saying, God's not like that. God's not going to give up that easily on you. God's not going to get discouraged as many in heaven are probably are. There he goes again. There's J.R. again. He said that he was going to, uh, you know, and yet he hasn't. There he, there's so-and-so again. He said he wouldn't drink anymore, but there he is again. There, there's so-and-so. Oh, I'm done smoking, but there he is. You think he's the kaboot, he's the, 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 the motor in front of a, a train, and you think he's the, what do you call it, the cart, the engine? With all that smoke coming out, you know, God, what are you doing? 
Let them go. Forget about them. And God says, no, I still love them. I'm still holding on. That ain't, that ain't bad enough. That ain't bad enough. The only time it's going to be bad enough is when he dies and he didn't, he didn't want to come to repentance. Then there's nothing more I can do. But as long as he's alive, my love is still for him. And I'm still believing that I will see my plans fulfilled in his life. And God is a God of perseverance. God is a God that doesn't give up easily. And we ought to thank God that he didn't give up on you and hasn't given up on me. Perseverance is, is the action and the effect to persevere. It makes reference to maintaining yourself constant. A project you have started, an attitude or an opinion, even when the circumstances are adverse and the objections cannot be fulfilled. It's a project that I have started. It's an effort that I'm going to persevere. Are you listening? Let me say that again. Perseverance is an action and an effort to persevere. An action and an effort. It makes reference to maintaining yourself. Maintain yourself constant in what? In a project you have started. I'm talking not about you. I'm talking about God. That God when he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you and me. That was a project that he started. A project that he started with his own life a project of believing that one day you and I would fall in love with Jesus and embrace his love towards us that was a project that started that project is still in process there are thousands of people that have not yet come to Christ but God is still this is a project I started and I will not give up I'm going to persevere I wish there was somebody here that understood what I'm talking about oh even listen to this it, 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 circumstances are adverse and objectives can cannot be fulfilled, that even to the end of your life, that you choose not to love Jesus and you would rather choose to go to hell, the last moment, the last heartbeat, the last breath that you have, God would have still loved you that much and that crazy until something would have happened. And Paul is saying this is the God that, 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 that I know who preserves, who perseveres to the last for a long time, listen, not giving up. And if you and I are here today, it's because God must be crazy about you because how many people have already given up on you? How many people have already wrote you off, yet God hasn't written you off yet? God is not giving up on you yet. Romans 8.35 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? We all ask this question. Because we all make mistakes. Come on, musicians. I'm, I'm about done. We all make mistakes. We all ask these questions. And we ask, you know, I failed God so many times. And I've broken my promises so many times. Uh, uh, will God still love me? I, I want to repent and return to him. God knew that one day you would give him his back, your back. God knew one day you stopped coming to church for a while. You didn't surprise God at all. God knew and knows what you're going to do that, hey, I, I interpret it this way, although you know that's not the way the Bible reads and says. But because society and because uh, 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 our, our community and because of everywhere that we look to in our culture begins to alter and change the word of God, now it's permissible. God knows that. God knows when we become jerks. God knows when... Hey, who do you think you are? I made you. I formed you. I know before you stand up and before you lay down, I know everything about you. You're not going to fool God. I know you don't want anything to do with me today. 
I know you could care less if you went to church. I, I, but I still love you. That's how crazy I am about you. Okay? I love you, and I'll continue loving you until the last moment that you have breath in your life. And at that last moment, then your relationship here on earth with God will determine your relationship with God up there. Here on earth, you are the judge, and Christ is the judged. Here, you say, or you are welcome into my life, or stay away from my life. And God will respect that. But the last beat of your heart, when it gives it, and the last breath that you take, the cards and tables are going to turn around. And you're going to wind up at God's presence. And that may be the only time you'll get to heaven. Just to get sentenced back to hell. Because your relationship here will determine your relationship up there. And if here you didn't have Christ in your life, up there God will also say, depart from me. I knew you're not. But as long as you have life, God is crazy about you because he's still hoping. If you've not accepted him, he's still hoping that you'll come to him. God has invested so much. And Paul, knowing where God had brought him out and being a product of God's grace and God's favor and God's love, he asked this question, is there anything that could separate us from the love of Christ? He says, nothing. Nothing can ever separate us. And you can say, well, he says they're not even death. Yeah, because if you're in Christ, you won't be, death won't separate you. Death will actually unite you with him if you're in Christ. Remember, this is Christ like this, not you like that. It's Christ taking control of your life. So he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble, calamity, or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. Does that mean he doesn't love me because I'm going through all these problems? No, not what it says. Paul is saying, I'm convinced that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in earth below indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God's love that is revealed through Christ Jesus our Lord. God could live anywhere he wanted in the universe. Think about that. Some of you wish you had that choice. Man, if I could live anywhere in the universe... Last place I want to live is at home. The last place I want to live is in Houston. The last place I want to live on this earth, man. Take me to the moon. Take me to Jupiter, Mars. I don't care, but we, 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 we would at times want that, that privilege. God, being the creator, listen to this, had the privilege of living anywhere in the universe. And you know where he chose to live? In your heart. Knowing how messed up, knowing how full it is of, you know what, and other stuff. God says that doesn't deter me from wanting to live there. If I was able to be born in a manger, there was cow poop, sheep poop, there was goat poop, there was horse poop, there was horse pee. There was cow pee. Hello? 
And that's where he was born. Symbolic of what's in our heart. And he says, and I'm still willing to be born in there so that I can clean it up and make you a new creation and make you a new person. Why do we always say in the heart? Because the Bible says from our heart, all these things come out. It's from your heart. And if God can live in your heart, he'll clean that up, change it, and your life will be totally different. God is really crazy about you and really crazy about me to endure, to support, and to persevere loving us despite that we've not loved him. It has nothing to do with religion. Religion is man's way of trying to please God. Relationship is God. The gospel is God trying to live in man. God's way of reaching man. As every head bowed, every eye closed, two altar calls real quick. First one, is there anybody here today who says, I, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I, I need to just say, Jesus, you've not given up on me when I've given up on you. And you had nothing to do with this without realizing that it's you that's keeping me insane. It's you that's kept me alive. It's you that's given me hope. It's you that's given me life. And I, I, I just want to give you an opportunity to work in my life. I, I come to understand today, man, you, you must be really, you must really be crazy about me to love me this way. Is there anybody today that says, Pastor, that's me, and I just want you to pray for me right where I'm at. I see your hand. God bless you. Someone else. I want all of us today to say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, everyone, thank you because you're crazy about me. More than what I could ever imagine. You've put up with me so much. <laughs> I haven't even put up with myself. Yet you love me. And today, I want to embrace your love, your forgiveness in my life. I want you to come into my life. Change the things that need to be changed. Let me be and let me model what forgiveness is and what a changed life is. So I repent of my sins and invite you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As they sing this song, I'd like to ask you for just a few minutes to come to this altar as we pray at this altar. And thank God for his unfailing love. And that we could ask God, show me to love the way you love. And my love can conquer the hate. And my love can conquer criticism because it's not really my love it's your love flowing through my life